0: See, for years, Pete Steadman said, do this, do this, do this, do this, and everyone here, they're delightful, they say, Pete, no problem. And for a decade, I trained people to be compliant, but, but not big-hearted and mission-minded and actually thinking, I play a role here. That we're trying to move them from doing a job to actually playing their role in God's kingdom and God's
1: work. Welcome to Leadership Local Conversations brief conversations with Christian leaders about one core aspect of leadership to help us grow. Today, we're joined by Pete Stedman. Pete is Senior Minister of Norwest Anglican, located in the northwestern suburbs of Sydney, where he has been the Senior Minister for the past 12 years. In this module of Leadership Local, we're talking about building effective teams. We always have a couple of questions that we ask our leaders. You might just share with us as we begin, as I ask you those questions as well. When did you become a follower of Jesus, or when did you first realize that you were a follower of Jesus? Yeah, well, I had the remarkable privilege
0: of being raised in a family where going to church regularly was prioritized, and actually living for Jesus was prioritized. Perhaps not the way that I do exactly the same in my own family now, but certainly enough to, to lay a very significant foundation and framework for me. And so then that made it much easier for me to receive Christ myself when I was in year nine. Uh, I was about to get confirmed and I was meeting up with the youth pastor and we were talking about, hey, you know, you're a Christian. I said, oh, because I'm a Stedman, you know, like because I'm from the Stedman family. And he said, you know, mate, as good as that is, that's, even that's not enough. And I was sort of shocked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, of course, um, he pointed out to me that actually uh, only in the Lord Jesus Christ do we find hope, life and forgiveness. And um, so, yeah, so I turned to the Lord before I was confirmed in, in mid-year nine Feels like a long time ago now, and ups and downs since then. Um, But then university became very formative for me, and um, I just became more and more aware of God's great kindness
1: to me. Has there been a particular season in your life in which you've really gone and undergone transformation as a follower of Jesus?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think probably there's a a number, obviously, but... if the most significant that comes to mind was when I did a six-month mission in India. So I finished my first degree and I was going to go back, back and around Europe and thought, well, why not spend some time uh, in a mission context? So we went. Uh, I went with a friend uh, and we were in Pune in India. We were told we'd be together. We were split up on the first day, so that changed. But essentially, and that was a very difficult season by myself in that city um, with no one around me really I mean I was part of a team, but it was an Indian team. So no one around me who I felt like I had a um a real closeness or affinity with um from a cultural perspective. And the Lord really changed me in that. I, I can see looking back, not at the time, at the time it was very difficult, but actually one of the stark memories I have was sitting I was on the, you know, fifth floor or tenth floor of an apartment block, looking down at this street and just seeing this sea of humanity walking up and down the streets in in Pune which we've never heard of here, but it's, you know, like it's bigger than, it's got more people living there than Australia, you know, (laughs) like, and I remember just feeling like it looked like a million people who are on their way to hell. Now, I wouldn't put it that way these days, but that's what I felt as a 23-year-old, like so many lost souls scurrying around, working out what life's trying to do, offering arms here, making sacrifices there, trying to raise their kids here and all apart from the Lord Jesus. And, And I remember thinking, man, I've got one life, and that's where I think I got a real stirring within me for for vocational gospel ministry, for for giving my life to to serving the Lord. Not that that's the only way. It's absolutely not. But for me, it was pretty compelling.
1: So you're at Norwest now. You've been there for twelve years. I wonder if you could just share with us what's the heartbeat of Norwest. What's your mission as a local church?
0: So our mission here is that at Norwest we long to see Jesus as King of every heart and every home. And I won't unpack all of that for you, but essentially we have just wanted to have this crystal clear missional view that we look at the community around us and we see the the fields ripe for harvest. Now that wasn't what I inherited. I inherited a beautiful, small group of people that were broadly unknown by the community around us, somewhat inward looking, but with a great opportunity around us. And and I inherited a church that were faithful and godly and really just needed someone to say, Hey, just lift your eyes, just Just look to the horizon, see what's there. And God's given us this treasure that we can take to them. And this church is so beautiful that actually they were just willing to run with that. Everything we do is driven by that vision that we long see Jesus king of every heart. That is personal transformation, every home. That is personal transformation bubbles over and impacts those around us wherever we're at. And we make staffing decisions based on that. We make ministry decisions based on that. We make make budgeting decisions based on that. That is what drives us.
1: So, at this point in Leadership Local, in this module where we're up to, we are considering building effective teams. Now, I have no doubt that teams are really integral to Norwest, but I wonder, what is your most favourite team that you have ever been part of?
0: Oh, it's funny you ask. I was asked this question not long ago at a, at a conference that I was attending. Look, I don't know if this is fair or I don't, I don't know if it's just the season we're in, but it's the team I'm a part of now, you know? <laughs> um, It's far from perfect. Like uh, we were just saying before, the closer you get to people, the less impressive they seem. That's the case with Norwest. That's the case with all our teams. But over the last two years, we've done a complete restructure of our staff team from the top down. I mean, as as Norwest has grown over the last 12 years, every two years we've needed to reinvent ourselves and think through what do we do? What's the best use of our time? How do we leverage the people and and serve the people and call the people around us to serve? Two years ago, we made a significant shift where actually all staff got new roles. Um, And I just think... That's been really helpful. We've seen significant gospel fruit out of that. But what that has brought is a new intentionality, a new clarity, and a new desire within our team to serve specifically uh, and to go deeper into areas where we had a few gaps. I can unpack all of that, but but the the answer to your broad question is the team I'm in now. Now, making that change has come at a cost. Some staff have opted back from our team and, and stepped back. Um, and we're looking to recruit now, and that's difficult to recruit for the context we're in in some ways. But we have a remarkable team that is humble, which is always my number one criteria for any staff or lay leader. Humble and godly and and, and sort of uh, are amazed every day at what God does amongst us. We, we We haven't wanted to lose that sense of joy about what God does amongst us. And that's been really
1: refreshing for us. It's not always there, but we fight for it. More broadly, why do you think teams are important?
0: I've just been away we're talking about it. i've just been up in the pilbara and i uh, just got back last night and i was spending some time with one of the senior pastors up there running a church of about 50 and he is a remarkable man doing remarkable work essentially by himself and has done for a couple of decades um in different locations up there and i just look at him i think i couldn't do that so firstly i'm wired for teams now it's not as pious as it sounds because actually part of it falls out of an insecurity in me that I'm not sure I've got the right answers. And I need good people around me to push back and say, have you gone mad? Because sometimes I have. Um, and so one of our, we've got five staff values here. One of our staff values is that, you know, the best idea wins. And, um, and, and so I've really brought that in because I know that sometimes my ideas just clearly are not the best. Often they're not. And I need people around me. So teams leverage giftedness. Teams offset lack of ability. Teams sharpen one another um, in the vision and task. And teams have the ability to actually disciple one another within the team and to remind one another of actually what we're about here. We're not merely about outputs. We're not really about the KPIs. We're not really about this. Sorry, we're not only about that. Those things are significant. But actually the process of how we move forward is critical. And actually teams, healthy teams, functional teams, gospel teams can remind each other of that along the way.
1: So you've shared a little bit about the reshaping process of the staff team two years ago and how that functions and works now with those values. I wonder, stepping back slightly and reflecting on teams more broadly within the life of Norwest, how are teams integral to your mission as a church?
0: So I've been here 12 years. For 10 years, we've been largely teamless largely teamless oh i mean we've tipped our hats to teams here and there but we haven't given it significant thought um we've been roster driven now the problem with rosters is what you encourage people is to do a task not take responsibility for an outcome and so we've had people who have been happy to step up and smile at newcomers and put a bible in their hand but actually we haven't equipped them trained them and encouraged them to wonder what's next so what how do you know if you've done a good job And so we are now moving to restructure the whole church. We're in the middle of this process to to teams. So actually, for example, I'll start with an example of, uh, so it's part of our membership area, so uh, integration, welcoming. Rather than someone just say, g'day, great to have you here, here's a Bible, take a seat, we've now pulled together a team where they gather on a Sunday morning, they pray and are reminded of what is our vision here, or what are we actually trying to do? We're not just putting Bibles in people's hands. We're actually helping people come and have such an experience of god's people here that they wonder what is different about these people so they then start with that mindset that changes the way they serve then and then at the end of their serving they're able to say did we do that how would we know if we did that is there a way we can measure that so then they are responsible for the outcome that their own team has set see for years pete Steadman said do this do this do this do this and everyone here they're delightful they say pete no problem And for a decade, I trained people to be compliant, but but not big-hearted and mission-minded and actually thinking, I play a role here. That We're trying to move them from doing a job to actually playing their role in God's kingdom and God's work. And it's, you know what? I keep saying to my staff, we taught them not to think this way. When they're frustrating you and me, this is on me. So let's own that. And let's walk gently and courageously and graciously with our people as we bring this significant cultural change through.
1: But what do you think else makes for a really great team? As you think about, especially perhaps the, the best teams, the, the, the teams which are most engaged at playing their role in the life of the local church or church in which you serve and the mission of the church, what do you think yeah. makes for a great team?
0: I mean, at risk of just rattling off a whole bunch of words, let me tell you a number of things that we think about here that are just really helpful uh, in terms of um, thinking through teams and obviously recognising that there are different levels of teams, different structures of teams and different responsibilities for those teams within the structures. But we often think in terms of six Cs, okay, and uh, and you'll know your people, your listeners will know almost all of them. Um, so character conviction and competency are the first three that everyone gets I think that actually car- godly character humble in their approach longing to serve uh, long to serve you know the Lord Jesus in the way that he served us right conviction deeply convicted by the gospel that actually uh we, we uh, died to self to live for Christ that we actually have good news we have a treasure in jars of clay that we actually want to uh, give to those and then competency that we have the the level of the required level of skill for the task that's before us, okay? So so they're they're foundational. And when I started at Norwest, they were the first three things I thought about any any team, any person coming on staff. And over the last 12 years, I realised they are um, required but not sufficient. So we need more than that. So then we added chemistry to that. Actually, great teams have good chemistry, and that chemistry is – I think in a number of areas, but it's at least relational chemistry that you get along with one another, situational chemistry that the team operates and functions in the right way for the context you're in, and theological chemistry, that you're on the same page, that you see things the same way as you need to for the task. So that's character, conviction, competency, chemistry. Then in a few years later, I realised that capacity is really significant. To work in a team where one person can throw hours at it and another can throw minutes at it will cause dysfunction and misalignment and frustration. And so recognising that people need the same, being clear on the capacity that's required for team members for the particular team role that they're going to play is really important. And then the final one, um, and the order is not important, but it is clarity being very clear on what the team is and is not for and that may include position descriptions for what you they can expect from you in support coaching development moving forward what you would expect from them if they were to commit to a team for a 12 or 24 month window or something like that you know i mean we we know that almost all conflict falls out of misaligned uh, expectation you know so just trying to be clear one of the things we work on here at noise is clarity is king you know there's a lot of things here christ is king There's you know (laughs) communication (laughs) is king but clarity is king as well and um Yeah, so so those Cs, those six Cs have been very helpful for us as we navigate people into teams and think through their fit.
1: So whilst our leaders here at St Barts, of course, are involved in leading teams here in the context of local church or assisting in leading teams here in the context of local church, they're also likely leading teams in a whole range of other front lines where God has placed them as they serve the Lord there as well. Mm. And I wonder if there was one skill just one skill that you would encourage leaders, leaders who lead teams, that you'd encourage them to be growing and to be nurtured in that skill in order that they could really grow effective teams. What would that one skill be? Well, I'm going to answer that a different way. If
0: that's okay, brother. You can you can uh, ask, answer <laughs> it's like. because I think there's a couple of things. I, I think skills fall out of character, so I want to start with character, and then I want to move to the skill, which I think falls out of that. Um, and and I'm I'm speaking, I'm, I'm sim- i mean, this is very self centered, maybe in ways. I just want to talk about what I've learned about how God has used me in my leadership, and as I look back, where I think true effectiveness, gospel effectiveness has been found. So I want to start with character and move to the skill. The character, and I've said it a few times. Is humility the world's best leaders are humble leaders and um, there are books written about this good to great you know there's a bunch of things you can read that, that are on this and it surprises people but and i don't mean humility like doormat rubbish which isn't humility i mean true humility actually that deep sense of confidence within your skin that you can actually hear others and deeply listen and actually have your own ideas pushed around and respond with grace and kindness so i i think, I would encourage leaders to grow in humility. You know, I I mentioned before we have values in the West, five staff values here. Number one is humility lives here. It is the marker that we look for everywhere. And our staff team is as functional as it is most of the time because we truly work on what it is to be generous with one another, to assume we get as much wrong as we get right, all of that. You want your leaders, you want your best leaders, you want all your leaders, you want all God's people actually to be truly humble. But then I would say, what would fall out of that? And maybe this will surprise you because it doesn't sound overly humble, but it's being inspiring. What do you think? Uh, a key skill for a key leader, I think the best leaders we have here have the capacity out of out of a gospel humility to cast vision, to say to people, look where we could be. Can you imagine? What if God did? and then tell stories about what god could do and what god is doing and ha- and actually help people be reminded of the better story the truer story the greater story which makes all the stuff we deal with in the here and now actually lose its grasp and lose its pull on us and lo- and the distractions slip away a bit as we actually are reminded of that better thing so it's this it's this skill i think that leaders have to to set vision to inspire to capture where people think, I want to follow him as he follows Christ. I want to follow her as she follows Christ, but not out of an arrogance, not out of an A-type. I mean, we've seen church disasters and church leadership disasters always because that inspiration falls out of insecurity and ungodliness and all sorts of things and brokenness, right? No, we lead out of our limps. You know, We, we lead with the thorns in our side on full display often, but we're still inspiring, inspiring people to the Lord, as we're humbly serving him ourselves.
1: So, Peter, lightning round, three final questions. First one How is God growing you as a leader at the moment?
0: Uh, I think he's um, teaching me. <laughs> I'm a slow learner, Adam. I think he's teaching me patience. Um, I've had a number of significant staff positions open here, some for more than 12 months. And um, that has, so we haven't had a kids pastor. Uh, or Director of Family Ministries for more than 12 months. We have 300 kids under 18 here. So that is just the pressure I feel with that. But I know God loves his church, this church, more than I do, All ch- his church more than I do, and so I just rest in that. So I'm learning more and more patience that he will uh, raise up the right people at the right time uh, to lead
1: uh, his saints. Second question, what's the most helpful leadership book that you've read recently?
0: So let me tell you what is impacting me in my leadership. It's not a leadership book. It's called Gentle and Lowly, um, and it's a reflection on the Puritan um, uh, Puritan reflections on, on, on the gospel. And um, I've been reading. You can knock it over in probably four hours. I'm, I've am i been going for 12 months on it. I read about a paragraph a day as I read through the scriptures as well, and it's just a reminder for me. I'm A-type by nature. I move too quickly through life. Some of my staff love that most don't. And so this book reminds me to be gentle and to slow down and to recognise, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And that helps my leadership.
1: Final question. What is the end goal in mind? So the long-term hope that you have for Norwest that daily shapes how you lead?
0: Yeah, it's funny. I've been here that long now that I, I start to think about what it looks like when I leave. And I think about that both personally, what do I look like when I leave and what does New West look like? For me personally, I hope I leave married well. I hope I leave with healthy relationships with my children where I wasn't just physically present, but I was present in the deepest ways. And I hope I leave with a love for the Lord Jesus that was greater than when I started. Now, of course, they're easy to say, but plenty lose them along the way. And I I pray that I don't. For Norwest, my prayer is that it is not a church that has been shaped into the image of Pete Stedman, but rather a church that has been shaped into the image of the true and living God, a church that has a hunger for Jesus, for his righteousness, for his glory and for his kingdom.
1: Thank you so much, Peter, for your time and your insight today. You have been so generous and I'm so thankful to God for you. And I'm also genuinely so thankful to God for how God is at work in and through the people of Northwest as well.